Gig Gab, the Working Musicians Podcast, episode 166 for Monday, May 21st, 2018. folks and welcome to gig gab the podcast that is bfa by for and about working musicians here in durham new hampshire i'm dave hamilton here in las gatas california is paul kent bfa i like that man. bfa i well we have to credit shannon jean on uh the, my co-host with the the small business show for coming up with uh with that little shortcut so i liked it so i clever i i, I borrowed it <laughs> I yeah. like him. Yeah. Hey, I've got a beef to air before we get going too far. All right. Another band in, in my area, so the Greater Bay, San Francisco Bay Area, sure. uh, is out promoting the best party band in the Bay Area. And okay. You know, well, no, I don't think it's okay. I actually, it, it bugs the crap out of me. And it's and it, the funny thing is, it's like, um, by what measure? And to me, at one level, it's like stupid marketing. It's like... It's like, just because you say it doesn't mean you aren't. And I'm thinking that someone, you know, when they think about it, they're like, hey, it, you know, if you don't say it, people won't believe it. I mean, I mean, I, th- I think there's some kind of like self-rationale that goes into that. But I'm more like, if you have to say it, you're probably not it. That, that's kind of my thinking about it. Huh. And, you know, to the other groups that, you know, bust butt and, you know, don't have to beat their chest that way. I think that's kind of, you know. I definitely have no interest in, in getting to know them or, you know, sharing gigs with them. Uh, I've seen them and they're fine, you know, but uh, over aggressive, you know, how we've talked about scenes and, you know, you can cultivate a scene and make a scene work for you. Ultim- ultimately, you get, go out and get your own customers, you go out sure. and get your own gigs. Sure. But if you want, if you want mutual support, I'd say, you know, beating your chest like that is definitely something that doesn't ring well with me. I mean, same, same band actually kind of, uh, and this might be why my my uh, hackles uh, are up. Yeah. yeah, my hackles are up. You know, um, I was delude, deluged with um, with uh, uh, their foot soldiers coming out. Clearly, this is not. It wasn't spontaneous and it wasn't organic. It was like, go tell so and so. You know that that we should be booked at this or you know. Uh-oh. It, it was, and it's it just this kind of like over aggressiveness that doesn't doesn't sit with me. I don't know. I mean, yeah, it, I don't. I don't think. It, I don't think it recommends the band well, and it, and I think it kind of gets into the philosophy of the band. But um, but uh, you know, that kind of over aggressiveness just doesn't doesn't work with me. Yeah, yeah. So let me ask you this: uh, Would you feel different if instead of saying we are, you know, the 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 uh, I don't know what the the the, the the Great Big Hats, right? That's the name of the band. The Great Big Hats, the best party band in the Bay Area. Would you like them better if they said we are the Great Big Hats voted the best party band in the Bay Area? Um, if there was something to substantiate the yeah, vote. Well, that's what I mean. <laughs> yes. if it Right. If that wasn't just BS. Yes. You know, like we have like um, – did we talk about this? Do you have in your area like a college newspaper or like or like your version of an arts newspaper, like the Village yeah. Voice would be in New York City? You have something like that in your yeah, area? Yeah, totally. Of course. We yeah, have yeah. something here called the San Jose Metro, and they do they do a best of the Bay Area thing where, right. where people vote. And so that's one thing to do it. My band won uh, a best of the Bay Area thing. Uh, one of the 
well, actually the biggest local radio station here, and actually the last local, <laughs> the last classic rock radio station around <laughs> yeah. here, um, used to do an annual contest. And most of uh, my friends' bands had won before us. We entered one time, and it turned out the last time that they ran the the contest, and we won it the last time. And I use that in my uh, promo bio. Sure. Right. So when people say so, and I say, you know, uh, award winning band mm. or something like that in, in our bio, but it's tied to something real, right? But you it's not have just a chest thing. Beating. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it is chest beating, but it's tied to something real. I mean, I, I, I think they're both, there's two forms of substantiated chest beating. beating. All right. Well, there you go. Validated yeah. chest beating. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. That, that, then that but was also, the question I was the, asking. Here's the deal. Yeah, yeah. Um, when you work real hard to get, uh, to get, you know, some place of, of, uh, acceptance in your market, when a newer band comes in and they're basically opening before they've, before they've done anything, when you just say it right from the beginning, I'm like, you know, what is that? Like earn, earn something, you know, either get it voted for real or, you know, be around for a while and have a track record that says you're the best, this or that or the other. And, you know, your track record should be not just because you say it. So I just think that the, the thinking is if it's you just two different schools of marketing. I, I, and I mean, it's no great surprise, right? Because you are someone that very obviously uh, sees value. And I don't say this. I mean, if I say it judgmentally, it's positive judgment, right? You, you, <laughs> you see value in in truth and authenticity, right? So when when you say and that's why I asked the question, you know, it voted best party band. If you really were, well, then, OK, now there's there's something to substantiate it. It's authentic as opposed to. Just, you know, hey, we're the best, which is like marketing 101, right? Classic. You just come out and say you're the best toilet paper. You say you're the best party band. You say you're the best whatever, right? I mean, it's no great surprise that uh, if somebody were to ask, you know, we're the best uh, music podcast on the planet. So uh, I just, you know, but um but but that's if somebody were to ask, you know, would we would we go and beat our chests that way? No, we we certainly work really hard to do that. We want to be the best, and you know, there you go. But yeah, it's a, it's it's just marketing. I, yeah. All right, my hackles are down now. But I, get I, I got it. it off my chest. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, folks. Uh, feedback at giggabpodcast.com. This is really important. What are hackles? So make sure you send that in. Feedback at giggabpodcast.com. Um, while we're on the subject of egos, I saw uh, both Liam Gallagher and Richard Ashcroft <laughs> on Monday night. Uh, it was Liam Gallagher's tour. He had, he, of course, Liam Gallagher, the singer from Oasis, Richard Ashcroft, the singer from The Verve, both 90s bands. Both did very well in the 90s. One has, uh, I think, lasted. Oasis is certainly more popular now than The Verve would be now, uh, at least in my mind. But uh, But both of these guys... And massive egos. So Gallagher played with his band. I have actually something to say about that in a minute. But Ashcroft came out first, and it was just him and an acoustic guitar. And, uh, and he started his set by walking out and saying, hey, thanks for coming to see the first of two legends for the evening, uh, which was which was interesting. It was like, wow, OK, there, here we go. We've got these two egomaniacs sharing the stage or, you know, using the same stage. I don't know that we can say that they share anything, mm. but, um, but you know, and Ashcroft was good. Uh, it was, like I said, it was just him and an acoustic guitar. A lot of those Verve songs, it made me realize that they uh, were basically the same song with different lyrics over and over again. And 
a lot of the Verve's value to me was in the production that they put into those tunes. Uh, and I think that's probably why they might not have quite the same staying power and resonance with newer audiences that Oasis's tunes do. Cause you know, a lot of those were just like such well-crafted songs, but Ashcroft was fine and entertaining and funny, told stories and all that. It was a semi outdoor venue, a permanently covered outdoor venue. And, about halfway through his set, he says, oh, you know, the temperature and the wind, it's making my guitar guitar go out of tune. Now, I, I need to remind you that this is a guy who has written multiple platinum-selling songs, right? And, and written them, then, you know, taught them to a band, sang them, produced them, and released them. I know that this guy knows how to tune a guitar. There's just no question <laughs> in my mind, right? But anyway, so he says, my guitar's out of tune. And again, he'd been telling stories. It wasn't just playing guitar, but it was mostly, you know, playing guitar and singing. And so he waves over his guitar tech to come out to the center of the stage where he was standing. And he takes his acoustic guitar off. He hands it to his guitar tech, who's now standing next to him, center stage. And Ashcroft backs away from the mic and just sort of stands there. Uh, waiting for his tech to finish tuning his guitar. It wasn't as though his tech came out, took the guitar, tuned it for him while he continued to entertain us. No, no. The show was put on pause while uh, this legend who couldn't possibly tune his own guitar waited for his uh, hired hand to tune his guitar That's for weird. him and give it back. It was just the most bizarre thing. And, and I was so flabbergasted by it that I didn't think to take a picture of it before the moment was over and was like oh I the only thing i can think of is that it's possible that he had a guitar that was having some you know intonation problems or some setup problems and it's not tuned spot on mm -hmm. and so you know the tech was you know uh uh, uh it's possible they've been working comedy. on something yes, yeah because other than that that's just weird that you'd have dead time while a guy tunes a guitar on stage that's just really odd yeah, but, but even with that like why wouldn't ashcroft you know, like go up to the mic and tell yet another story, right? Like there, it was just bizarre that here was this fully engaging performance, except for this moment where the guitar needed to be tuned. It was like, all right. So look. the only thing I can think of there is maybe him and his tech were having a disagreement about the setup of the guitar. And he decided mm. to make a point and embarrass the tech, right? Oh, that's true. Could be, could be. He didn't say anything about the tech, right? I mean, I, I certainly could see that happening, but no, he just stood there and then he like, you know, took the guitar back. Okay. Right. We're good to go. Now we can, we can continue on. It's like, yeah, well, that's, it was just bizarre. Yeah. You know, just one of those things, like just a, how was Gallagher? Funny moment. Gallagher, um, his band is great. He was great. He sounded good. I uh, I was fortunate. How big a place? This was a five thousand seater. Uh, it was the they call it oh, the oh crap. I think it's the Bank of America Pavilion outside of Boston. If you ever fly in or out of Logan, you see this like permanent white tent thing right on the water. Out there. on the piers. Yeah. Yep. Used to be. Is that what used to be the Tweeter Center? No, the Tweeter Center is is now the Xfinity Center, which is which used to be called Great Woods. So that's several miles south of Boston. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, anyway, I know the one that you're talking about that's out in the water. It's actually yeah, a really nice venue. It's a beautiful venue. I've seen many bands there. The sound has always been stellar there. It was a little muddy for Gallagher, especially at the beginning of his set. Um, he he was weird. His setup. He had. Uh, you know, they had they'd hung line arrays or whatever from the, you know, from the, the the ceiling and like you normally would. And then they basically had line arrays stacked up on stage facing in as side fills. I, I mean, and it was almost as much sound for the side fills as it was for the for the house. 
And I wonder if that wasn't the problem for the first couple songs, because the way the sound is in there, it really bounces kind of funny. And uh, and it seemed like they made a, a substantial change. They might have just turned those things off. But because uh, it's it looked like they were having some trouble on stage hearing as well. But um, but his band was good. He was good. Um, I, you know, he's an interesting guy. I, I had the the pleasure of seeing Oasis uh, about yes, about 13 years ago. And you really liked them, huh? They're, you know, I, I've always appreciated them. Seeing them live, I was blown away. You know, I saw them at Madison Square Garden, and it was about halfway through the show that I realized, wait a minute. Like, these guys aren't really moving <laughs> on stage. They're not doing anything. The light but show. But their vibe. But yeah, yeah, their vibe just yeah, is it, right? That they're was, just it cool. Was, they're just, it, like, they were not just cool, captivating. Uh, you know, there's something about Liam specifically that you just like you can't take your eyes off him. As we walked out of the show, my my daughter was saying, she's like, yeah, you know, like he was his typical grumpy self, which is part of his persona and all that. And that's fine. Um, but she was saying, gosh, it's really interesting. I, I I found myself thinking through the show. I hope we as an audience don't disappoint him. Like, I hope we we lived up to his standards, you know, for for the show. She's like, that's just really just an interesting vibe that, and that it is, he's just a captivating person. Uh, but I did notice one thing, cause I'd thought about this a lot since I, since I saw Oasis, right? Because it was just like, how did they do that? You know, there were no, there was no like projection screens or anything really to watch. The lights were relatively simple. And yet, you know, here you are, you know, for whatever, two hours and just totally captivated by, by this band. And especially this one guy who literally stands there with his hands behind his back while he's singing. And there's a funny story about that. I, I guess his brother, he used to flail around or whatever. And his brother's like, man, you look like an idiot. So uh, the only way I'm going to write songs for your band is if you just stand there and sing them. And so I guess it, it worked out. But uh, but I thought about it a lot. So I, I had this in the back of my mind coming in. And again, the same sort of thing started to happen. Watching him. It was like, OK, what's going on? And I realized that, I mean, a big part of it is him and his charisma for sure. Uh, and the song power too, right? These songs are just great songs, uh, great songs, including the stuff on his new record. It's uh, like whoever they got to co-write these songs with him, you know, knows what they're doing uh, and, and was really able to, to write some great stuff. It's a really good album, but um, they make liberal use of strobe lights, lots of strobe lights and almost every chorus to every song had the strobes going like full tilt. And that really does become hypnotic. It, you know, it, it keeps you like, you, you can't really get distracted by talking to somebody next to you when the strobe lights are happening. Like it, it, it disrupts all of that and just forces your focus to be on the stage. And it's a really interesting trick. And they used it all night long. And I'm sure Oasis did the same thing. I like I have no mm. doubt that that was part of the here's how we get, you know, 20,000 or at times, you know, 100,000 people all to just watch is yeah. is part of that. So so it just made, you know, it just made me think like, oh, strobe lights. OK, yeah, those are right. Makes sense. Good. I'd actually say and there's a good kind of universal lesson here. Lights are kind of the underutilized secret weapon for a lot of shows, even mm -hmm. cover shows, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, they really um, can change the 
the professionalism. They can, they can create the vibe. When I just did the Springsteen show, it wasn't a dance show. It was a seated show. So I needed, <laughs> I needed every bit of help I could get. Right. But, um, there was a pro light guy there and, um, he asked for a copy of the set list. He knew many of the songs. He didn't ask in advance, but, um, he knew many of the songs and he did a really good job having the lights reflect the mood of the song. And it really, kick things up another notch. I mean, you know, when to use a spotlight, you know, when to use lights to kind of accentuate an, you know, exciting part of a song or dim lights to accentuate a sad part of a song, that type of thing. It really is a thing. We have lights. Uh, we have lights mostly. So we're not in the dark. Sometimes mm. we have a guy who, when we can afford it, comes out and will run lights. Um, but if I could find like a, a an LD, and actually I got the card from the guy who ran it at, at the at the oh, place yeah. I did the Springsteen show, but lights can really again, even if it's even if it's a, a nightclub performance, lights can really accentuate the mood. I mean, oh, it can really definitely it makes all yeah. the difference in the world. When we added lights to fling, and and we added lights in a way that Russ can actually manage them on stage. It's it's much better if we have a an LD in the house, obviously. But um, but, you know, you can get lights and, and we actually were talking the other night about potentially adding some motorized lights to the rig and and that sort of thing. But, it you know, it it can help immensely if even if, you know, just when you switch from a verse to a chorus or something, the lights change color along with that. Right. And mm-hmm. and and at the very least, I think you need two types of lights. You need lights either on the side or behind the band that throw color so it's such that the crowd can actually not only see the color that's thrown by the light, but see the lights themselves, right? The lights themselves can actually be an interesting thing. But then, of course, if you've got lights behind you, now you're silhouettes. So you need something in front to to provide that stage wash to, you know, to light your faces so that you're not just silhouettes. But um, but yeah, it, it can make a huge difference. Yeah. So Russ actually rigged a, the lights up into his pedal board. He built a custom pedal. That uh, that allows him to switch the the lights and control cool. the programs and stuff. Yeah, I mean it's very very simple in the grand scheme of things, but huge difference from nothing, and and it makes a difference. You know, in all the theater shows I do, especially like the madhouses, the lights are. I mean, they spend almost a day just working out lights for each so- each song, and it makes a huge difference. You know, because th- that's just how it goes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Cool. I saw uh, another band the other night, uh, two bands, two or three bands, two nights in Boston. Uh, I saw a band. I had met them back when I was, believe it or not, at CES. I went and saw the Beatles Love Show and with with this band and, and a, another group of people. But um, it's a band called Thunder Pussy from Seattle. And it's four women. Wait, what does that mean? You went and saw the, the Beatles show with this band? Oh, the Beatles guys- Love Show in Las Vegas. No, no, no. What? When you said you went with this band, like you all attended the show together? We attended the show together. Yeah, it was. So it was, you, kn- you know them personally? I do. I know them personally. Yeah. Uh, got it. Yeah, I met no, them. I, I mean, I don't, you know, I mean, we don't keep in I Actually, I met their manager, too. I keep in contact with him. Uh, but uh, but and there would be a, a good band actually to have on the on the show. I, I might we, we might we might try to arrange that. But um, it, four women and like they can play and they it's a, a you know, guitar, bass, drums, vocals. And they can play this vocalist. She is captivating and she can sing like Grace Slick like she can sing. Um, and and um, it's like their music is it, a lot of it kind of reminded me of, of like Rush's first album, that that whole 
sort of Zeppelin inspired riff rock kind of thing going on. And they can, like I said, they can really play. But I wonder what, you know, and now I, I think they're, I don't, I honestly don't know how old they are, but I would, I would guess that they're somewhere between, you know, twenties to early thirties. And I wonder with a name like Thunder Pussy, are they, you know, what's, and they're all original, right? I mean, they played one cover, but you know, for the most part, I mean, they're out there trying to sell their record and all this stuff. What's going to happen in 10 years, right? Does that name still work? And it got me to thinking, you know, about um, when you're choosing a name for your band, at some level, it's it's irrelevant, right? You know, whatever you choose to call it, just like go whole hog with it and, and, and make it work. But a name like that, you know, I don't it has know. Com- commercial limitations. It's got commercial limitations. Yeah, it's, it's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, or maybe because of those commercial limitations, it will separate them from the pack and and propel them. And then there'll be this thing. But do they want to be on stage at, you know, at 45 and 50 playing as we are Thunder Pussy? You know, like, I don't I don't know if that works. Maybe it seems like it works. It works in punk. Yes. Yes, for sure. That's your audience. Right. Right. But if you're just a straight up rock band, that's going to be tough, you know, for you to get kind of any kind of mainstream. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's going to yeah, be these tough are, to sell. These, these, these women are, are well beyond punk. I mean, they, they play, I mean, they're just so good. So good. Yeah. It's a classic rock. Would you say that? Yeah. Modern yeah cla- rock? Classic rock ish. I mean, it's, it's, it's like edgy classic rock. Guitar, like, guitar based riff rock. Definitely guitar based riff rock. Yep. Yep. Yeah. With a great vocalist. It's just killer. Yeah. Did you ever ask their manager how they feel about the name? No, I haven't had that conversation with them yet. We that'd be cool. Yeah, we talked a go lot about that. Beatles songs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go do that and report back. And I just, shall. You know, there you go. That'd be interesting to know. <laughs> just, I will take my marching yeah. orders, sir. Yes. There you go. Yeah. So, kind of a potpourri day today. So, um, uh, I wanted to share that. Um, you know, I've always said I'd rather have a bird in the hand. So I try and book the house rockers as far out as I can and just pack the calendar. And the ma- basic philosophy behind that is scarcity is your friend. When you're scarce, you know, people will want you more and be willing to pay more, right? right. Knowing that they'll lose a date. Yep. Um, <clears throat> but I'm finding as we get into the summertime, so our summer's pretty packed. Um, I've turned down four or five really good paying gigs because we're already booked with less paying gigs and i'm actually i don't think i'm changing my thinking on it but i'm keenly aware that maybe my band has gotten to a a amount of booking density now where i can take a little bit more risks and not try and have the whole the whole certainly the summer um booked um you know back in january or february and then just it's okay to roll the dice and leave a weekend or you know a couple things open per month knowing that something pretty good will come in. So, some of them are really good wedding gigs, you know, really well-paying wedding gigs. Um, a couple of, uh, one corporate thing that we couldn't do. So I, I, I'm second guessing myself a little bit right now, but I, the, the point of inflection is about when you get to a place where you do have enough demand, your name is probably out there that when people are looking for things. Now, the wedding stuff is kind of a surprise because I'm surprised to see people only looking for their wedding band a month, two months, three months in advance of the wedding. Yeah. Usually that's, that seems a little that's almost short. A, it's one yeah. of the first things that, that wedding planners book, right? They yep. lock in the band that they want. Um, and then the, the flip side of that is, you know, supply and demand, like 
someone who waits that long, you can probably get your top dollar if they really want you, right? That's true. Uh, sure. You know, or, or anybody, right? Because, you know, if they want to have a choice as opposed to just settling for something, again, people may have budgets, that type of thing, but, it, you know, you may have less of a need to negotiate your asking price when it's on short notice. But, um, yeah, I, I, I'm wondering if my commitment to, you know, a bird in the hand uh, is still the best strategy. I think it is because overall, you know, when people say, oh, we tried to get them, but they're booked months in advance, that's a good thing to be out in the world, right? Right, right. Do you agree? I, I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I And I think, uh, I mean, scarcity without question is almost certainly part of your value, right? Because you've created that. Uh, but maybe what you need to look at is instead of saying, well, I'm going to delay booking gigs – Maybe perhaps just raising your your value, i.e., your price, uh, to you know, to a minimum that, like, look, you know, if it's January and somebody wants to book you for June, say, you know, whatever your price is now, compare that to what you're getting offered today for these gigs that you got then, and and next year when this comes around, say, hey, look, I'd love to, you know, take the gig. I really like having things booked out. But at this price, I can't take this gig right now because mm. I know that, you know, and, and I, you know, I love to and for you, it's absolutely true. And for most bands, it's it's true at some level where you can say, hey, look, you know, a, a lot of my guys rely on this as their income. So the burden is on me to make sure that we're getting, you know, a, a minimum level for each gig and I can pay these guys. And so to take your gig, I could take it and and make it, you, you know, preemptible. But you don't want that, you know, explaining this to the customer, Mr. Customer, you don't want that. So, you know, you want a band that's locked in so you don't have to think about it anymore. So if you could give me, you know, another 500 or another thousand or, you know, whatever the, the, the number is that that actually is realistic and based in reality and authentic and all of that stuff, that that might be the conversation to have. Yeah, you br- you really bring up a good point. Now, th- the thing is, we all really like to play. So, right? Yeah, so there's the risk. The, <laughs> yeah. So, you, you know, you got to decide, are you going to set your price, hold your price and not take anything under? Or, you know, do you want to get out and play? And there's there's that those are two ends of the extreme. And there's a lot of gray in there. So yep. if a gig is offered and and again, we we're. Even as a band that's been together as long as we have, we continue to move along that extreme. We're not at the point where we only take a certain minimum. And I know, you know, one or two bands that that's their philosophy. Sure. Set your price, hold your value. And, you know, but they don't play that much. So on and then on the continuum, you know, I'm like, is it a good gig? And a good gig to me, A, is it paying fairly or is, is it paying what we want? You know, that would make it a great gig. Is it paying fairly? Is it a good audience? Is it a good venue? You know, is it a good situation? Is there other things we can get out of it? I think we have largely gotten rid of the stuff that falls below the bar on all those things. We don't play on the floor in the corner of clubs anymore. Um, we don't play the, the music series that don't have an, uh, an established audience. So right, we, don't, right. we don't like to play for nobody, but it has to check at least a couple of those boxes. Is it a good audience? You know, can we get our name out there and can we, you know, establish, you know, more love um is it a good stage and a good you know professional setup for us to to play on uh here's an interesting one for you so there's um a town about a half hour from here and the guy who books music for those towns events they have one or two festivals one in the spring 
or early summer and one in the fall. And then they have an excellent music series. The town has built a beautiful amphitheater with a really high end pro sound system in it. Pro lights. It's a, it's a good gig. Sure. Um, we, um, have played the concert series, which is, you know, they get a lot of people and it's just, again, a really good situation a couple of times and, and we've slayed and it's one of the more popular ones. This guy's sure. got, you know, hundreds of bands banging on his door. Right. Um, we, did not get the concert series this year, but we got one of their f- two festivals. Okay. And um, the festivals are less good gigs. Again, festivals for us are just kind of hard because getting our big band on there, mic'd, sound checked, oh, yeah. you know, sounding good in the very limited amount of time is really stressful. And so we don't do many festivals. Sure. But, um, but I took it to keep the relationship going with him. And I'm wondering if I would make that decision again. Again, you know, so sometimes that, yeah, the value no, of the relationship um, the value of not rocking the boat, I guess, is because there's no guarantee that that uh, saying no would have damaged the relationship, but it definitely would have rocked the boat. Right. You know, or ruined the relationship, I should say. Or or actually, maybe it's good. Maybe you yeah, get respect I, from. Saying I was no. just going to say, yeah, exactly. Yeah, because there's 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 definitely respect that comes from. Someone that walk away that yeah someone that that is confident with their value. Um, I mean, I mean, there's a difference between confidence and cockiness, right? And and so you know that's in the delivery of it. Like, yep, we're we're worth more than this. This is not the right gig for us. And it, maybe it has nothing to do with money, like you said. Maybe it's logistics and and this, that, and the other. Yep, I really appreciate the offer. Uh, you know, we love to play for you. But I, I got to tell you, this is not the right gig for us. I, I really appreciate it. And I hope that next year, you know, if something else comes along that that is a good fit for us, you know, that you'd 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 consider us again. Yada, yada, yada. Right. See, see what and everybody listening should write down exactly what you just said, because thankfully that, I recorded right it way to do it. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> but that that's it. You know, there and this, uh, you know, to kind of bring the circle around, this is the opposite of chest beating right this is like humble um you know but assertive and confident and i think that that's i think that that's the best and most professional style again it has to be whatever works for you i i a couple years ago there's there's a, a booking guy who i actually got real direct with and you know we were up for a headline gig and he offered us a less than headline gig and i was like you know what we've busted our butt we have succeeded for you and i kind of you know laid into him a little bit fortunately he was a good enough guy to say, Paul, you don't want to take that approach. And, you know, this was maybe eight years ago. You really don't want to take that approach. Yes, you're doing well as a band and um, and you're doing well. But the 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 end of the story is he only offers his headline. Game. So I made my point in a way. Yes. But only because he was cool enough to say, you know, I don't want those types of relationships and you don't want those types of relationships. Right. So I let my I let my ego get the best of me at that time. And it could have gone a very different way. Fortunately, it was a cool enough guy. There's another you know, booking guy in this area who if I would have taken that tone. Absolutely. I'd never work for him ever again. So so um, um, I was fortunate that the guy knew me and knew guys in my band well enough to know that. That, uh, you know, we just have a lot of pride in what we do. And that's what he was hearing. And that's he was it. an experienced booking guy. I don't I think I would guess he's had that talk of talk of musician off the ledge conversation many times. He's been doing it for a long time. Oh, interesting. I think. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would think like, like, what do you think? What do you think Paul would do? Paul Costley. Mean? Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, you, you know, Paul, he's an interesting guy. Like you got to experience any, any, and listeners here got to experience the Paul Costley, the, the, the human being, Paul Costley, the, the person, right. And he's a very warm and generous guy. And he's certainly that way with how he approaches his business, right? Like when he told us, you know, I'm, I'm looking out for the bands and, and I really do that. And I make sure they get paid. Sometimes I pay them out of my pocket and this, you know, whatever. And, and, and that's great. But when you are dealing with Paul in that business moment, he is all business. Like it, like it's a very, it's a different tone. It's a, a completely different attitude that you get from him. It's not harsh, but it is not overly friendly. It's, I have this for you. Do you want it? Do you not? And I think if, and if you cross him, like, for example, the way it tends to work here is you'll play a gig and let's say his deal is, you know, 10% of that gig. So uh, let's say, I don't know, you get a thousand bucks for the gig and the place pays you the band 1100 because that's what Paul negotiated. And then you've got to stroke a check or, you know, Venmo or whatever, get Paul his money, his hundred bucks. Uh, I know people that have been slow on getting Paul his money and Paul stops booking them and and often will stop booking them potentially forever until there's a, you know, mea culpa. I'm sorry. You know, yada, yada, yada. So it it's all business with him. So I don't think he would respond well to that. I mean, I don't think it would turn into a shouting match. I think he would just be like, OK, yep, I don't need that person anymore. I'll just move on. You know, right. That, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so that might have been he might be the wrong guy to do that with. I don't know. I've never tried that. I've honestly never booked anything with him. I've always been the sideman or, you know, a member of the band that that someone yeah, else has dealt observed. with. I've observed. Yeah, obviously, I know Paul. Uh, but but the conversation that we had with him here was, I think, the first time I ever spoke to him voice. So if that means anything. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, that that point being, you know, that whole story is about. You know, a scarcity versus when you cross that line and you kind of have enough of a pipeline of stuff coming in, leaving some time. And I think that's actually the tact I'm going to try next year is I will I will book most in advance, but um, but I'm going to try and leave a weekend open May, June, July, August, September and uh, and. Uh, you know, see if things fill in organically at, at higher value. Now, but will, you, I, I do will, think, you, will you give the band a heads up? I mean, obviously, if they listen, they now know that. But but is this something absolutely. that you would work out so that everybody in the band is sort of aware that, hey, I'm trying this thing and, you know, it's for the benefit of what we do and all that stuff? Yeah. Yeah. You know, here's what's interesting about that conversation is um, like I said, my band likes to play. <laughs> and so yeah. I think the guys would say, like, you know, you know what's out in the market. And, you know, I, I get it that that's why you're doing it. Yeah, let's try it. I think if I was to book a lot less in advance, they would get a little nervous as we get in because they want to play. Or yep. if those weekends that I'm holding open end up staying open, um, you know, I think I think people would re, would rethink it. So sure, of sometimes course. it's about it's about staying the course. You know, sometimes, again, the, the band that around here insisted on a certain fee and literally would not go out. The question is at the end of the day, I would, I would, I'm pretty sure he grossed more 
but played less. Ah, interesting. Yeah, right. Who do, so who do you want to be? Gross more, play less. Because, you know, for especially for working musicians, an open night is an airline seat. Like, you'll never get a chance to make that money again, right? right. So, right. you know, uh, and there's a couple of guys in my band who, like, every gig is part of their income. And any every more is better than none. And, you know, it's not like going out and having to dig a ditch. I mean, it's it's it's, you know, you pick up your horn and you go and you play for a couple hours and you get to put groceries or more groceries or better groceries yeah. on, on the table. Right. 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 <laughs> so right. Uh, it, it, it's an interesting thing. It's, it's a risk. But, and the question is, is that has my band's brand as a whole crossed over into enough awareness that there's enough demand. Like I said, I turned down four or five gigs. I could calculate how much lost revenue that was relative to the things that we have. Sure. Um, I, I, my gut is telling me, I'd have to kind of crunch the numbers, but my gut is telling me it's a pretty safe bet that it, you know, not no guarantees or no guarantees, but um, you know, leaving a weekend open, something will come in and fill it. Yeah. Yeah. I, well, I mean, and you'll find out again, it, you know, you do it in a controlled way. And, and that way, if it is, if if the experiment fails, either because you guessed wrong or market conditions changed, right? True. You know, and and so it's like, oh, this was the wrong year to try this experiment. Last year might have been way better, but okay. Like next year, we know better now. Let's just let's err on the side of caution. Or you get to the end and you're like, man, let's not book a damn thing until May first, <laughs> right? You know, I mean, it might happen that like you might choose to go one way or the other, but you can you can kind of take. A, a controlled test without just, you know, throwing caution to the wind one way or the other. So, yeah, but you agree that like it's, it's odd that the wedding stuff doesn't, but like I thought most wedding bands that I know, they book a year in advance. Like mm-hmm. it's one of the first things it, it, traditionally it had been. I don't know whether that's shifting and, you know, people are, are spending less time planning their weddings now. I don't have enough of an insight. No, into, I, would, I would say that, I mean, you know, Uptown plays some weddings. We, we don't, we don't have a desire to play every weekend. So obviously we don't play weddings every weekend, but, um, but the weddings that we play are, are easily booked out. You know, I, I would say some of the, like we have something for, you know, that's more than a year out right now. Uh, but also we'll get stuff on the calendar, maybe eight, nine months out, that kind of that's thing. That's what I would think. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. When, when to, when to pull the, when to fill the schedule, right? That's the, that's the question. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, that's what I got for today. You got anything else, man? Or we We, we kind of hopped all over the place. We did. I like this show. It's balanced. (laughs) It's good. You know, it feeds my ADD. It's perfect. (laughs) (laughs) Follow the bouncing Paul and Dave. There you go. I like it. Cool. All right, folks. Well, then that's going to do it for us for this one. Uh, Thanks so much for listening. Like I said, we really do want to hear from you and we want to know what hackles are. So feedback at giggabpodcast.com. Visit us on Facebook, giggabpodcast.com slash Facebook. What what else do you have to say, Paul? Do you have like three words of advice, maybe? Three words would be always be performing. Those work for me. Thanks, everybody. See you, Paul. Late. Late.